It's so good to see you guys. Thanks for coming. If you're new here, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here. If Sunridge is your home, welcome. Thank you for being here. And even if you're just checking this out online, we hope that what we do or talk about, just even in this simple message, will help you take your next step toward God. I got to tell you, uh, if your pals or your husband or something went to uh, retreat this weekend, we had a ball. And uh, I just have to tell you that husbands or friends are going to come home really tired and maybe a little beat up. We played uh, paintball on Saturday morning, and then there were like game after game after game of different events. Uh, we, they have this set up at this camp called Human Foosball. You've played foosball before. This is actually where your people, and you're holding on to these pipes, and uh, we're all exhausted. My knees are trashed. Inside and outside, I, like both, I look like a little six-year-old that's been playing. My knees are all skinned up. So I put Band-Aids on both knees because I was afraid that my sores would ooze as I sat up here and you would see these round dots on the front of my pants. Hopefully the Band-Aids hold up and they haven't moved. You start to see a wet spot. It's just pus, so don't even worry about it, okay? And then I got to tell you... Um, you know, uh, Pam talked about Trunk or Treat coming up. And, you know, this is, it's not just some goofy event. This has been such a powerful community event. Uh, I often hear talk about, like, what would happen in our community? Would they feel Sunridge, like, imploding? Would they ever even sense that we would leave, that, that we weren't here? And it's my goal to be so, so woven into the fabric of what's going on here with our presence, that we would truly be missed. And I'm telling you, this is one of the events our community would miss. I know people that through this event have come to Christ. I know families that have come to our church through that. And I know that even if, the, if that doesn't result in that, we've blessed families by giving them a great place to go and hang out with their kids. It's safe, and the kids can have a great time in our festival. So um, that said, it's totally worth you getting involved. So bring your candy, do a trunk, don't just... Whatever you do, don't, don't sit on the pines, okay? You want to be part of this event because it's super powerful in our community. So that's my, um, my little uh, speech, okay? Uh, last week we started what I would call like a compass-setting and thought-provoking series for our church. We call it Made Whole. It's a series about the holistic um, impact of the gospel. And it's a collection of messages about how through Jesus Christ, we can be reconciled, and Jesus is healing all things through the gospel. Um, and we, we started looking at, you know, what I think is a unique perspective that Christianity brings to, like, why the world is the way it is and, and, and how it is. And we, last week, my message was titled, uh, The Way It Was Supposed to Be. And we went to uh, Genesis 1 and 2, and we just looked at the Genesis account of how the world started. And some of the, some of the things that we learned or like were reminded of, I'm going to put up on the screen. This is how the world was it, at the beginning. Uh, we had an uncontaminated environment. Human beings had inherent value. We were made in God's image. And people that lived at that time, Adam and Eve, they, they experienced ideal companionship with one another. And because they did, there was a oneness in the world that was unmarred by sin yet. 
And so there was a oneness between human beings, there was a oneness between humans and God, and a oneness between people and the world that God had created. And in that world, they had a meaningful vocation. God gave them something to do, to own, that gave them purpose. And even though that was work, they experienced joy in it. And, and at the end of the day, they were tired just like you and I are, only they had gratifying rest. And God gave them moral boundaries. And with, with a world being like that, they had everything that you and I want in our world today. They had security and peace and justice and trust. Trust between themselves, trust with God. The world was whole. And I don't know if you remember or not, but like I said, I didn't believe that the world was perfect. I think that it was whole. And what we're going to look at today is one of the reasons why I don't think it was a perfect world. Because you're going to see, in spite of the world being completely whole in the Genesis account, you're going to see that evil still had the capacity to be present and influence the world. And from the get-go, that happens. And, a, and Genesis tells us about how the serpent came to Eve. In Genesis 3, 1, he said to her, Did God really say you must not eat of any of the fruit in the garden? And you know the story. It's like, you know, you can have all this, but this is set apart. And deception begins, like, right away. And it's not like full frontal deception. It's like, it's like a trap block in football. There's a side swipe, a sucker move so to speak. And Eve answers him, saying, of course we may eat it. She kind of scolds the serpent and says, the woman, it's only the fruit from the tree at the center of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. And God says, we must not eat it or even touch it or we will die. And then the serpent says, you won't die. So you won't die because God knows that your eyes will be opened when you eat it. And you will become just like God, knowing everything, both good and evil. I think this, this is the first instance in all of humanity of FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. Because Adam and Eve became convinced, she by the serpent, he by her, that God was holding out on them. They were missing out. You know, and so from the very get-go, and things haven't changed, the ultimate deception is this. God is the problem. See, God is not the answer. God is the problem. And we, you face that today in, in many different ways. You and I do. Maybe at your work or someone in your family said, you know, like, really? You, you, re, you believe this stuff? I mean, how can you be so archaic? Christianity is the problem. How can you be so blind to, like, have this kind of world perspective. And you know, just that little sliver, that little chink in their armor opened up their minds and their hearts and their souls to all kinds of deception. And the consequences to that deception are immediate and dramatic. And this is the first fill-in in your blanks. Here's what happened. The whole world has been wholly shattered by sin. The whole world 
has been wholly shattered by sin. That's That's the Christian perspective, that this is the point in time that created a lot of everything, actually, that we see that's wrong in our world today. So this idea of holy shadow, just look at your neighbor in your seat. If you don't know him, keep a good distance when you say it. And just look at him and say, you've been shattered. Go ahead, say that. Now, aren't you tempted right after that to say, I'm in tatters. Anybody with me on that? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Can't help but make a reference to music of my day. You see, the fall was far worse than we realize. We can't even comprehend the impact of the fall of man and woman. We've memorized the theology of the fall, but we really don't comprehend all the implications of it in our hearts. And in our study that we've been doing on Sunday nights, uh, When Helping Hurts, there were 160 of us here last Sunday sitting at tables talking about how the gospel, the whole gospel affects the world and how we can, we started a conversation about how what, how what we may be doing today could be hurting people rather than helping them. But in that study, When Helping Hurts, the author... Uh, adapts something from uh, an author named Brian Myers who wrote a book, uh, Walking with the Poor, Principles and Practices of Transformational Development. And he identifies the impact of the fall in four fundamental relationships that we live in. And I'm going to put this drawing up here, um, and I just want to explain it, and then I want to unpack it a little bit. You can see that there's human being in the middle, and there are three relationships in our earthly realm that that we live in. There's my relationship to myself, others, and to creation. And outside of that realm, the earthly realm that we live in, God is there. And we were designed to be in relationship, in whole relationship, in all four of those fundamental areas. But in the fall, what happened is all of those relationships became broken. And you know, if you look, first of all, let's talk about the most obvious, our broken relationship with God Look at how instantaneous the consequences and alienation are once sin enters the picture. In Genesis 3.8, the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. You know, the imagery here is like God and human beings walked together. They talked that just like you do with your friend or your spouse. You know, I don't know if in your prayer life you long for something like that, and may, maybe you have it, maybe I'm just telling on myself, but I don't often feel that way. But early people, Adam and Eve, had this person-to-person relationship with God. And when they sinned, they immediately felt something. Now, it wasn't God that didn't show up. God still showed up, just like he always had. But something inside them changed, and they wanted to hide from God. That's because their relationship with God was broken. And we experience that in a variety of ways today. Of course, we experience like in people that deny God or his existence, 
you find very quickly people in the, uh, following false idols. And you know, that hasn't changed much. Maybe our manner in which we do it is like, and I know most of us aren't bowing down to a little idol made out of wood or stone or precious metal. But how many of us often bow down to the idol of materialism or the American dream or pleasure or comfort? And we worship those things sometimes more than God. You know, the evidence of our relationship broken with God certainly comes with when we reject his authority and we reject his wisdom. But I think in a more important way, we reject his heart. That is, when, I, when we feel distance from God, we think that God is the problem and that his intentions are bad for us. Sometimes God doesn't work for us. And when God doesn't work for us, we, we reject him because we think that his intentions are bad for us. Um, we've lived in the valley a long time, since 1989, and uh, we were here when the first cafeteria-style restaurant opened up. It was called the Golden Corral, and it was on Jefferson. Now, I don't just want to say that, like, I don't know if there was a group of people sitting around in a marketing room discussing, what are we going to call our restaurant? But Golden Corral? Really? I mean, what kind of imagery does that bring up for you? It's like, you know, we're like a bunch of cattle moseying up to the trough, and we're just like, ah, you know. Sometimes that's the picture, right? So I can eat all of the poorly made food I want. But they had one of those frozen yogurt machines which is like really the way to cap off overeating on fried chicken, roast beef, and ham, and some canned vegetables. And, you know, I was in line behind this guy. He must have been in his 70s, you know, looked like a grandpa to me. And, you know, this Golden Corral was experiencing all the things that a new restaurant does. You know, there were some hitches in there, giddy up. And so the yogurt machine wasn't working. And he just stood there with his little bowl and he kept pulling on the handle and then he'd like pull it again and he's like, and then he was shaking the machine. He was like, come on, machine, come on, machine. And I'm like, whoa, you know, like anybody see this going on? Like, Eesh. and I, and then he threw his bowl down and he stomped off. Great grandpa moment, you know. And, you know, I think sometimes we're like that with God. Like, we're pulling on levers. Come on, God, work. Do, th do this thing for me. And when he doesn't work, we throw our proverbial bowl down and stomp away. Our broken relationship with God makes us start to think that he's the problem, not the answer. There's another relationship that's broken, and that's our relationship with other people. And again, that alienation is instantaneous. In the Genesis 3 account, you have blaming from the very beginning. Eve is blaming the serpent. Adam blames Eve. They, they sense their nakedness, which they had never, uh, like, it never impacted them before. And that's more than just their physical nakedness. They could see something different about one another. And they were ashamed. 
So right away you see human relationships closing down. And there's, there's a battle for power. There's, between Adam and Eve, there's two, only two humans on the planet, and they're fighting for who's going to be in control. And then by chapter 4 of Genesis, Cain murders his brother because he's jealous. Because God accepted his offering. One of, the, one of the things that we experience constantly in this world is brokenness in our relationship, and it causes us to, to constantly think, well, who's ahead? Who, who's in charge here? Who's going to be the winner? And who, you know, because we, we perceive, like, the things that we have or whatever, it's like, I'm ahead. It's like, now, now I have God's favor because I'm ahead of so-and-so. These are all ways that we experience our brokenness between one another. And we have all kinds of repercussions in our relationships with people. We, we get self-centered, and that self-centeredness that with us at the center of the universe causes us to abuse people, to exploit them. You ever wonder, like, why? Why, why are there struggles in human relationships? Why, why did, did the person who was the, the companion of your dreams, why do you fight over dumb stuff and big stuff? What, how did that person turn into a divorce? How do, how do people who have daughters also traffic young girls? Why, why can successful and logical men um, sexually harass a woman in their office? How can a despot turn chemical weapons on their own countrymen? And how, how can we, in this modern day, with all of our resources and all of our education, how come we can't solve just basic fundamental problems that have gone on in the world from the beginning? from race division to poverty to homelessness, addiction, equality. It's been going on since the beginning of time. And you know, clergy aren't exempt from this effect. Some of the best compliments I get from people, is like, you know what I like about you, Britt? You're human. And I say, well, on some days I'm extra human. <laughs> oh, I got human. I could show you human. We're, we're all that way because of our brokenness in our relationship. And the fall of Adam and Eve started a viral infection of brokenness in our relationships to others. I mean, why does the Bible have to address so much about how to do relationships? Why does the Bible have to tell us to confront injustice or care for the poor or the alien, or the refugee, or to forgive each other, or to stop divorcing over stupid stuff. Why does the Bible have to remind us that in, in the kingdom of God, there's neither male nor female? Why does God have to remind us that we shouldn't give more attention to the rich over the poor? Why are there 57 one another's in the New Testament? Love one another, serve one another. Don't you think, like, why do we have to work on that stuff as Christians of five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, a lifetime? 
It's because every day we experience brokenness in our relationships. Now, there's another, uh, there's another relationship that's broken. God with others, and then we're, our relationship with creation is broken. And again, take note of how quickly the alienation happens. In Genesis 3, the ground is cursed, and the meaningful, the meaningful vocation that human beings had turns into toil and exhaustion. At my table last week, um, one of our table members said, it was like they had the same job, only it became harder. And then people are alienated from their home. They're banned from paradise. How is it that all throughout history, human beings have somehow had this disconnect between the world that God gave us for our pleasure and the responsibility to oversee? How is it that from the beginning of time, we've been messing it up? Do you know that there are 80,000 metric tons of trash in the Pacific Ocean? Sometimes you should Google the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. We've lost our connection to this place that God has given us. And it, it causes individuals to, to throw their McDonald's trash bag out in your neighborhood on your street. My ring's going to see you do that eventually, by the way. <laughs> and, um, and it causes a corporation to dump toxic waste into a river, into the, into the ground for profit's sake because we've lost our connection. And more than that, I think, even we've kind of lost our purpose. You see this in Adam and Eve as well. And, you know, we, we kind of experience that at two ends of the spectrum. You know, some of us are workaholics because we somehow we've just lost perspective of why I'm here in this world. And some of us are just what would look like just lazy. And we run the whole gamut because of our brokenness with creation. And then last, our, our relationship with self has been broken. How many, how many books or seminars or programs are, are there out to resolve the differences within yourself? How many prescriptions are handed out? And, you know, I'm not a doctor. I can't say whether you should take a prescription or not. I mean, but... Honestly, how many of us are on medication simply because we can't really cope with who we are inside or what's happened to us? Brian Fickert, <clears throat> the author of When Helping Hurts, says that we suffer from a poverty of being. And that poverty that we suffer in our broken relationship with ourself, again, it runs kind of the spectrum. There's, you know, most obvious is like some of us have terribly low self-image. And we just keep running the tapes in our minds of things that have been said to us and, been, you know, what we, who we think we are. And then there's the whole other end that, of brokenness of self where you have a God complex. You don't feel low. You feel superior to everybody else. These are all evidences that we're broken inside. And what happens is broken people create broken people. And we just perpetuate it. That's not just theology. That's really tangible. You see, Eve 
was deceived by the serpent, and she immediately became the vehicle by which to deceive Adam. Broken people perpetuate brokenness. And the problem is we often can't recognize it. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things, and who can understand it? And then when we believe wrongly about self, we perpetuate things that are not true about ourselves and others. Jesus said in Matthew 6, you call your darkness light. This thing that is broken in you, you call it right, you call it light, but it's dark. One of the ways that I've discovered this recently in my own brokenness is for years, and, and I'm still wearing it, and I'm saying I'm above it now, but like, I've always thought that everybody else's experience was mine. Like, so, you know, your problem, all you need to do is this. Like, why can't you just buck up? Why can't you just, like, take the opportunity in front of you? And it's like, why can't they do that? And it was all from this broken place that I think that I'm the center of the universe, and everybody's world must be exactly like mine. And where I saw, where, that, where I had the breakthrough is two of my son-in-laws. Because two of my son-in-laws came from extremely broken homes. Uh, abandoned for weeks at a time with a sack of potatoes to live off of with his, with his siblings. Um, one of them, uh, if he didn't perform well in baseball, was punished by um, being left asleep in the garage with a blanket on the concrete floor. You didn't pitch well, here's your punishment. No pillow, nothing. No traditions, no birthday celebrations. One of my son-in-laws never went on a family vacation. And of course, that's all been fixed since they've come into our wonderful family. <laughs> right? But we, these are things like, it's like, oh, they're, they're remarkable men. And they've risen above, would be the way to put it. They have overcome. But the thing that I've experienced is seeing that not everybody has my experience. You know, Christians aren't excluded from this deception. That's why James wrote in James 1.16, don't be deceived, brothers, because you can be. And then broken people, don't, we don't just create broken people, we create broken systems. And let's put that diagram back up. I think that this is brilliant because... As in our brokenness, as we try to repair the world, and this is part of what When Helping Hurts is about, we've created broken economic systems, social systems, religious systems, and political systems. And it, this is part of why we can't resolve all of our issues. We've created social systems that exclude people because of religion or race or we've created uh, economic systems that take advantage of people and exploit them for profit. We, we have broken religious systems in which guilt is laid on people and people are built out of millions and millions of dollars or harassment and, and sexual abuse can take place and it's covered up. And I don't think we need to really talk about a broken political system today, do we? Regardless of what, what party you love that you align yourself with. Broken people create broken system. So, so what can be done? Now that I've depressed you completely, right? There's hope. The bad news is bad, but the good news is way better. 
because we know the bad news. This is the next fill-in in your notes. The holy shattered must be made whole through the whole gospel. The holy shattered must be made whole by the whole gospel. Now, you, I've, I've referenced that last week, the whole, the, this phrase, whole gospel, because only a whole gospel can make us whole. In Altizen's book, uh, Whole and Reconciled, Church, Gospel, and Mission in a Fractured World, he talks about false gospels and he talks about whole, uh, uh, half gospels. The one half gospel is the personal salvation gospel, and that exclusively alone. And that, that's like a gospel of sin management. I have this list of sins, and I need it taken care of, so uh, I, I say this magic prayer, and I'm one and done, and now I'm good. And this version of the gospel is kind of like the worst of a certification process. You know, learn this information, spew it back out on the test, and now you're competent. And, and sometimes we look at the gospel like that. It's like, believe these truths, say them out loud, and now you're all square. But that neglects the social side of the gospel. It isn't just like about a list of sins and get this, this waving. That's part of it. But it's not all of it. And there are even some evangelicals today who are preaching against doing anything other than just like this, um, you know, verbal, uh, you know, connection to saying the words. Look, there's no gospel without the cross. I want to be clear on that. But as Christian people, we can't ignore all the other things that Jesus said or the Bible talks about, like seeking justice and being compassionate toward the poor and confronting unjust social structures and war and oppression and the marginalization of people. That's the, that goes with the gospel. The other half gospel Tizan refers to as a social gospel. And you might, as a Christian, you might be more, you know, in tune with that. And that gospel, the social gospel focuses on, you know, political or social reform, but it's void of the transformation that the gospel makes inside us when we acknowledge our sin. And by faith, Christ comes to dwell in us. I love what Dallas Willard, uh, he used to be a professor of philosophy at USC. He brought these two ideas together and how we struggle with them uh, succinctly and I think kind of humorously in this statement. I'm going to put it up on the screen. The liberals got the kingdom and the fundamentalists got Jesus. It's like both are a half gospel. They have to come together. See, the whole gospel proclaims that we must repent of our individual sin and do the works that Jesus did. Jesus acknowledges our brokenness, but he doesn't condemn us in it. When people came to Jesus and they acknowledged their sin or their struggle, Jesus didn't say, well, you screwed up again. I knew it. You did that wrong too? No. In Matthew 9, 12, he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It was like he was saying, okay, now that we have a diagnosis, now we can do some real work. A writer um, said this in one of the books that I read in preparing for this. He talked about the staggeringly good news of the whole gospel. 
I love that phrase. The staggeringly good news of the whole gospel. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This is what's staggeringly good news about the gospel. When, when Christ comes into your life, Paul says, you're not a better version of yourself. You're not improved or shined up or got a few more moral char- characteristics to yourself. He says that you are a new creation. You are made whole from your broken state. Now, most of you that are Christian people, you, you don't argue with that. You embrace that. It's like, yeah, but that's not news to me. But here's what, here's what needs to change in, in the Christian mind and heart. The fact that you're a new creation in Christ, you need to fully accept that as a person. You need to embrace that, not just in your head, but deep in your heart. You see, what has happened in the Christian community today, and I'm part of this, I'm not preaching against everybody else, it's like we have memorized the theology of our brokenness and uh, the threat to our wholeness. We, we know that. And we've also memorized the theology of God's grace, but we have not comprehended fully the threat to our wholeness today. We have not fully embraced the change that is wrought in us when Christ comes in to dwell in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The reason why I think you need to be reminded, Christian, that you you have a new identity in Christ, that you're a new person, is that, that thought needs to pound back against everything else that's been said about you and to you. Because what that truth says is, you're not what somebody called you. If you had a horrible family life, and awful things were said to you by your parents, you are not what that parent said to you. You're not what some callous teacher or coach said to you or friend. On the other hand, you're not your bank account. You're not the wall of degrees that are behind you in your office. You're not the square footage of your house. You're not whether you own a house or you rent a place. None of these things are who you are. You are a new person in Christ. And if you think about it, if God, if God wants to have his Holy Spirit dwell in us, he, you know, of all the options where God could place himself through the Holy Spirit, you know, he used to live in the temple, right, in the Old Testament, he, wants, he dwells in you. He must think pretty highly of you to take up residence in you. That's the whole gospel. You are made new in Christ. And if, and if you're, a, you're a person that you came to church and you're saying like, you know, like I have all these questions. I have, I have these fears. I have these things that, I'm, that I have problems. And you wondered if you would get them answered at church. This is the right place to come if you're struggling. This isn't a place for people that have it all wired. If you came to church today because your relationship is disintegrating and you want to turn to God, you came to the right place because you can be made new. You can be 
made whole. If you came because you're afraid, and the stuff that's going on in the world is pretty scary at times, if you came because of that, you came somewhere where you can get some solid footing and some hope with as crazy as the world is. If you came just because you're like, you're mad, just like, you know, the world isn't right. And you're wondering, like, how, how, do, how do we change this jacked up world? And you're frustrated by the injustice or the Epsteins of the world or misogyny or racism or poverty. You came to the right place. If you've asked yourself, how in the world can we as human beings allow what's going on in the world today to continue to go on? You came to the right place. And if your fears are just solely related not to yourself but your children and you're thinking, what kind of world are they going to grow up in? You came to the right place because you can be made new. Wholly new. Through Christ. You know, I'm convinced that for most of us, how we come to Christ, especially as adults, is often triggered by we get glimpses of the brokenness of the world or of ourselves. And when we see that, it's like that something's not right. And that sparks something in us to remind us that there might be a God. And he might be able to help me. The most recent opportunity that I had to share the gospel with somebody came out of a person that was struggling with their relationship with their parents. They were completely um, estranged from their parents. They, they didn't have a good home life on their, by their account. And yet... And, the, and the, they didn't talk to their parents at all. But they weren't, there's like something in them that said that wasn't right. And we were able to talk about like, what does God say about that? How can that be repaired? And how would it ever be repaired? It was her glimpse of brokenness in the world within the context of her whole family that caused her to turn toward God. Isn't, I bet that's true of many of you here today. You can be made whole. Uh, Paul puts it this way. He talks about that um, it was through Christ that we were reconciled to God and to others. In verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And you know, when I hear the word reconciliation, I think about relationships. You know, people divorce over irreconcilable differences. Like a broken relationship put back together is reconciled, right? And then also think about a ledger, you know. Sometimes you have to reconcile uh, assets with liabilities, you know, and it has to balance out. And both are true of the reconciliation that Christ brings. Our relationship with God is reconciled, and the gospel works in us to reconcile our relationship with others, creation, and with ourselves. And then also it's true that God reconciles the ledger, right? If you have a sin account, Christ's death on the cross balances that out. God desires to make us whole, and wholeness begins by restoring our relationship with him. But it doesn't end there. Paul's words here talk about how God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 18 again, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God did this for us, and then he gave us a ministry. He gave us a thing to do. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Then catch this, 
We are Christ's ambassadors. We're his representatives. And God is using us to speak to you. We urge you, as though Christ himself were here pleading, I'm, I'm in Christ's place in this thing that's broken, and I'm pleading with you. Let's be reconciled. Let's make this place whole. So in this passage, we, we see the work that God has done in us, that we experience. And then when we experience that, we have work to join God in. You know, we have such a unique opportunity today. I know, I mean, the world's been jacked up for a long time, and, you know, things are going nuts. We have an opportunity as Christian people. We can lament, uh, we can hate, we can hide, we can denigrate, we can condemn, or we can see how the gospel speaks to the big issues of our day. We have big, big problems. But you know, we have a big God. And we have staggeringly good news. For those of you that were with us during the uh, series we did, A History of Us, isn't this echoes of the Abrahamic promise where God said to this, this people thousands of years ago, you're going to be my people and I'm going to bless you. And when I do that, I'm calling you to bless the rest of the world. That's, that's the opportunity that we have. In 1974, um, 150 Christian leaders gathered in Lausanne, Switzerland. Among these leaders was Billy Graham, John Stott, Francis Schaeffer. And out of that, they, they, they gathered together to say, the world is messed up. How can God affect that? Where does the gospel fit into this? And they wrote what has become known as the Lausanne Covenant. And it is summarized, I think, by John Stott in this. And I'm going to put the words up on the screen. Here's what we have to do. The whole church must take the whole gospel to the whole world. You know, that's brilliant. It's going to take the whole church not just a few of us, not a few frontline people. If the world is going to be made whole, the whole church must take the whole gospel. Not just a bit of it, not just the sin, uh, you know, transfer. But we must live the gospel and taking the whole gospel to where? The whole world. The whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. That's a good place to stop. Let's think about that. Let's close.